Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. My name is Ann Garten, and I'm host of the IPCC podcast. Our school-aged children, their families, and teachers have been through a lot over the last two years. And it takes a village to support brain health and the challenges that students face both normally and during a pandemic and coming out of one that we've all been living through. So in today's podcast, we are excited to discuss brain health amongst our school-aged children with Lynn Miller, Angela Kite from Vera French Community Mental Health Center and Rick's House of Hope, and Cami Montoya from the Davenport School Systems, and specifically principal at Jefferson Elementary. So we got to give those kids a shout out because I know they'll want to listen. So welcome all. I wonder if we go around and just give the listeners a little bit about yourselves, uh, and, and we'll start with you, Lynn. Great. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I have been uh, in the behavior health field from the time I graduated from the University of Iowa. My degree is in recreation therapy. Um, at the time that I was in school, I thought, oh, I don't ever want to work in behavior health. And that's all I've worked in. So I've worked at Whitmire Youth Center. I've worked in behavior health at um, the hospital. Um, I've worked in Bettendorf Community Schools with children who had disabilities, and um, now I'm at Vera French. I've been there about 12 years. I worked in residential treatment with adults with chronic mental illness and then with children at Rick's House of Hope. And um, for those of you who don't know what Rick's House of Hope is, it's a program, a support program for kids who are grieving due to loss maybe death, divorce. We live in uh, the Quad Cities near the Arsenal, so children can move a lot. And so they have some struggles with that at times. And so I uh, provided support groups in, in the area schools and at Rick's House of Hope. Excellent. Thank you and welcome. You want to go next? Sure. Thank you for having me as well. I have my degree in health sciences. And I am actually new to the mental health field, but I um, have always had a profound love and interest for mental health. I am now working with the IHP program at Fair French and I'm working with Rick's House of Hope doing the grief groups and a couple other groups. That's about it. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Angela. Cammy. Yeah, thank you also for having me. When you called and you know told me the uh, topic of this conversation, it immediately intrigued me because this has just been what we've been living and breathing every day for quite some time and especially during and post-pandemic for sure. Um, again, Cami Montoya, principal at Jefferson. I will be going on my ninth year as principal at Jefferson Elementary. I was at Smart Intermediate for 11 years before my time at Jefferson. So I'll be going on 18, 19 years um, in the district and have just done a plethora of different um, positions from a gen ed teacher to a sped teacher, crisis interventionist, school administrative manager, associate principal, principal, um, and now elementary principal. So I've been able to work with kids in many different capacities. And I one thing um, that I have definitely seen over the years is every year, the mental health and the behavioral health of our students just becomes more and more, you know, hard to attain and, um, you know, make strides in. Just a quick shout out to Rick's House of Hope. We actually have several kids who have gone to the grief groups who truly, I can share some stories that have changed their lives. So it's nice to meet you guys that are behind that. So Great. neat connection. Excellent. We love to hear that. Yes. And a little bit of tidbit. I also, not only an educator in higher ed, but have taught in high schools, both public and in private schools in Ohio and Texas. So have also had to manage some of this with with the, the high school age group. So 
Welcome to you all. So the, the, there's a proportion of children aged 6 to 16 with probable brain health needs, and that has increased since 2017, from 2017, sorry, from 1 to 9 to 1 in 6 in the last year or two, okay? And what I want to start with, though, is to share with families that we're all in this together, right? And right. so we have to be a village in this in this process of getting our kids to be healthy holistically and I'm wondering and I'm going to start with you Lynn if you could share some signs that would help families be on the lookout for what your kids what are well-adjusted kids and what are kids that are struggling starting to show us in some behaviorals behaviors so really it's all about safety and so when your child is feeling unsafe and so forth they they don't always um, realize it themselves, and so then we see start seeing behaviors, and uh, behaviors that are not what we would call normal for them. You know, we all have um, different ways that we act and respond to things, but it's something that would be different for them. So, you know, you may uh, see lack of sleep, you may see some instability, don't want to leave um, your side, you may see more tantrums, you know, it's, it's a variety of things. It's hard to, um, I, I don't want to lump everybody into one thing because everybody is uh, original and different. And Indeed. And we don't want right. to be all the same. same. <laughs> no, but I think it's okay to assess and understand that there's a difference. And if we see that trend to continue, ask the whys. Right. Um, and I'm going to ask you, Cammie, what kind of behaviors are you seeing that, that would be linked to some of this um, in the school age children? Sure. Um, one word pops into my head and it's anger. I think that we have just done so much research too recently on trauma-informed care and the brain research and all of that and going back to the whys and what you see scientifically. But I, I feel personally one of the biggest behaviors we see as anger, which anger can manifest itself into many different things with that. But if I had to just use one word, it would be anger, more of that than anything else. Of course, then we have, like you said, the wide spectrum of things too, from the clinging onto their teacher, not wanting to leave. You know, I have a few teachers who have kids with deep trauma. And when they're in the restroom, you know, because the kid's standing right outside that restroom door, they will not let them go, you know, anywhere else down to the very, you know, we said the Kids who need love the most ask for it in the most undeserving of ways. You know, the language, the behavior, the physical that you see because it's still trying to tell a story. They're trying to tell us something. So quick answer, there isn't one, right? You know, it's a huge gamut, like you said, but I think of anything some in some sense or realm of anger, I think is what we see the most. I, I w- I'd like to add some more. And you said we, we want to ask the question why. Really, we want to ask the question, what happened? Yes. What happened to you? Not why are you acting that way, but what happened to you? Because then hopefully then that will trigger the child to share what happened. And, um, you know, we can't fix what we don't know. So, or we can't help those if we don't know what was really on. So wrong. So we need to ask the what question, what happened? Our staff is doing a book study right now with the book, What Happened to You? And it's profoundly amazing. Yeah. 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 And I always use the tell me more. Yes. (laughs) Tell me more. Why is this? Why? Why are you feeling this way? But more it's really yes. Not on the why, but the the what piece of it. And that's how I've used that language. Yes. Maybe where it originated. There's like sometimes we have kids that have done like some talk back or again, just want to come help and want to be against or among the adults instead of the children. And that's something that we see. We see outbursts sometimes too, you know? Yeah. So. Help me to understand. What are you thinking? 
right? It right. Is, is important. And I think that's important for families to understand that that's how you all are facilitating those conversations with the kiddos and taking out the emotions out of the behavior. That's how we focus it, right? Um, because when we take that emotion out and just question what is going on, then we're able to have that dialogue with that student or with that kiddo to help facilitate understanding the behavior. Especially with boys, because, you know, society says boys aren't supposed to have feelings or it's not okay for them to express those feelings. So they right off aren't feeling safe to to let you know that something's not right. So I think it's really important that we we focus on what happened and make it safe so that they can share with us so we can help them solve the issue yes. and, and, and work through it. Need. Yeah, right. work, work through it. And sometimes it's not necessarily professional help. It may right. just be understanding what that reaction is so that we can right. move forward in their journey and move forward in their learning. Correct. Because that's where we're where we, we are focusing, right, Cami? Yes, and hearing you say that, I think that is what we base a lot of our professional development on over and over because that is, like you were saying, as the adult on the other side of that behavior, first of all, finding what happened to you, where did that come from, but taking your own emotion out of it is very hard sometimes. You know, We say if they don't know how to read, you give them a literacy intervention. If they don't know how to do math, you give them a math intervention. You don't really get emotional about that. But when the behavior is not up to standard, that's a little different. Um, so it's teaching the adults to take the emotion out to truly be able to listen and say, you know, what's happening here? And that's it's not always easy, that's for sure. Right. Well, and that's how Rick's House of Hope the basis of Rick's House of Hope is, is to give these kids some support and some tools and education about feelings and emotions and what's going on so that hopefully later they don't have to seek professional help, that they understand and know if they do need help, then then it, we provide that that resource for them. But hopefully it, the whole idea of Rick's House of Hope is to give them the support now so they don't have to get a diagnosis or well, to help when they experience trauma or they're having this hardship to walk them through it and and help them heal in a way that is consumable perhaps and so then they don't ever have to actually have further advanced they've got the coping skills that they need to actually heal and move on and take it in a better sense i love that the coping skills right life skills is what i like to call them because they really are about life skills that we all have to use every day as adults even and sometimes they just aren't don't have that maturity to have those skills yet so how do we help them through that well there's a lot of different coping skills so i guess on some of the things that we do is we do some play therapy we talk about different activities to release stress, whether it's playing music or drawing. We talk about identifying emotions and then dealing with those and helping them you know, push forward and, and address those appropriately. That's what I was going to say. One of the biggest things that I think, actually one of the smaller things, to be honest, but with the biggest impact that we've done is the zones of regulation. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's truly teaching them to first just recognize I'm in the green zone, I'm in the red zone. What does that look like when I am? And it's in a classroom the other day, this kid having very extreme behaviors, very upset. And all of a sudden you see him stomp over to the wall and take his clip and put it on the red. And he said, I'm in the red zone. Then the adults knew exactly how to react to that and get him right through that. So I do think you're right. A lot of it is the coping skills, but first them even just realizing, yeah, how do I know when, what are my trigger signs that I know when I'm you know, getting to that point too, which is huge. And understanding the structure, because he had a structure that could help him through that, yep. right? Kids like structure. 
We forget more that than they sometimes. Know. Yeah. Right, because yeah. they also they also use play as their learning, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we forget that, that even though we use play, we still have to have some structure so that they know where the, the line is drawn. And he knew that if he used that tool, that he was able to then get the help he needed. Mm-hmm. I love that example. Yeah. Right. Right, and Rick's House of Hope, kids come that have experienced some loss, whether it's death or divorce. And they, really the important part is teaching that emotion and letting them know you're, you, you are experiencing an emotion that an adult could feel or anyone else. And, and the basis is that they meet other kids who are in similar situations. So they don't feel alone. So they don't feel like, oh, I, I, I'm all by myself and nobody else feels this way. And, and then their self-esteem goes down and their emotions go up. So education is really important for that. And, and you have to talk on their level so that they understand that. I had a young man who in fifth grade, he lost his mother who died by suicide. And his um, stepmom and dad uh, wanted help for him and they put him in an adult grief group. Well, they didn't know about Rick's House of Hope, but stepmom finally uh, was able to find Rick's House of Hope and she called and he came to a few groups and once he felt comfortable, he said to me, Lynn, I, in that other group, I didn't know what they were saying. And he said, I felt really strange there because I was so young. And he said, but here it's fun. I learned things and I learned that I'm not alone, that other kids have experienced loss mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. It makes me feel better. I think once you get them into like a community atmosphere, they not only have the ability to relate with people that are their size, their age, they feel supported. They have caring connections with adults and peers right. because we all like to have, what do we all do, ladies? We go to our friends and we have a phone right. call. I yep. need some help. They also need that in their structure. So then it's a sense of normalization. Not only are they not alone, but it is normal. And they're not at fault for anything that's happened to them. And I think that's a really big thing that we have to touch on. That's something that they're not in control of. It's not their fault. It's a big thing. Yeah. Right. I think it goes back to where it takes a village, you know, circling back to the beginning because they need that whether it's their school whether it's rick's house of hope whether it's their veer french therapist where you know whatever that is that sometimes it doesn't exist in their current village so they need to reach out to that larger village to be able to truly help them through those things for sure well and statistically kids just need one caring adult one it only takes one caring loving adult in their life that um supports them the most and once they have that person then they're able to um, gain more resiliency and and learn and and um, find what helps them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that caring adult is in the family dynamic. Right. And sometimes because of the dynamics, that may be somebody outside of the family. And not that the family is not supportive, right? right? No, I right. think I think it's to understand as well. It takes a village, right? right? right. And and that sometimes um, you know I have an 18 year old at home, and there may have been times in his teenage years that we weren't connected. Like so, who who did he have in his village that he could support, right. be supported by, right? And I think that's really really important. Go ahead. And I think that um, usually when the situation happens, like divorce or death, that's happening to the entire family. It's parents, it's siblings, it could be aunts and uncles or grandparents are all grieving. And so having somebody even outside of that, like Rick House, Rick's House of Hope, is it's, it's a, a soft place to land, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I think there it, it also to, to support the idea that 
going back to what we were first talking about is seeing those signs and symptoms is to recognize at an early detection, you know, detect them early as possible because the interventions tend to work a little faster or easier for the, for the kiddo. Right. 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 I, I hear kids all the time that come to Rick's House of Hope and say, oh, this is fun. I've had fun. Um, I've heard kids say, I feel like I can't talk to my mom about my dad's death because then she'll cry. And then she may been, have been having a good day and now she's not because I made her cry. And, you know, part of that's education that mom loves you. She wants to know how you're feeling. She wants to know. And it's okay to cry, you know, especially for boys. It's okay for, to cry. Crying is a coping skill. Correct. Yeah. And a very effective one. And it's a point of connection, too, although it can be very uncomfortable in the moment when you're able to connect. Parents and children are able to connect even in those moments. It it strengthens that bond very well. Yes. What um, advice would you give to a family, Cammie? I'm going to start with you because your your team has that connection way more quicker, you know, sooner than you folks do. What would you say to that family dynamic, uh, those folks that are supporting that specific student, and how do you engage them in this conversation and, and get them started? Sure. That can be so tricky. And it's interesting because two of the things that we typically suggest are at the table, which is nice, um, and talk about a program that has recently started through Family Resources that we use a lot. It was the YAP program, and now it's called CAP. It's new. Um, They can now come to our um, student intervention team weekly to just hear these issues and say, we need to connect this family because, like you said, this grief is not just affecting this child we need to wrap around this whole family so our list is you know long and I think it comes to relationships first I think you have to know the family and know what they're ready for know what they can possibly take on because sometimes you hear there's no way we can go to therapy we don't have time for that we don't have transportation so there's all these barriers not mindset even aside right of first um, so I really truly think it's just taking the time to sit and listen to what the true issues are um, some examples we use are well, they're not coming to school so it's transportation and we get them a bus and Attendance doesn't change. Well, come to find out, it really wasn't transportation. It was five layers deeper. So I think that's what it takes is really us getting to know the families in depth to truly know what they need first and then be able to offer some of those services. Which goes back to the what. <laughs> right? Right, right. Right? And I think a lot of times those of us who are in um, any of these types of services, we try not to become task-oriented, but we get sucked into it just as as anyone does, right? So stopping and listening and then constantly asking the what <laughs> – and, and keep digging in a little deeper. And they may not be ready. I think that's the other piece. They may not be ready to give the what right off the bat. They've got to have that relationship and, and those pieces of the puzzle to get them there. And it's important to listen non-judgmentally. Yes. You know, some people have a difficult time with that, um, listening non-judgmentally. But if you feel as if you're a family and you feel you're being judged, they're not going to share what's For really sure. going on. Right. And they're not going to leave your biases at the door. Right. Correct. The thing we learned so quickly, too, was that sometimes they the family doesn't even truly know what the issues are. Maybe it's right. a lack of the students feeling loved, but the parents going, I love them. It's just I have a harsh personality, which manifests itself in a you know, child not feeling that. And so digging really deep for sometimes, like I said, they don't even know what the true issue is. And sometimes it's us helping them find that too. Right. And sometimes it's a child skewed view also. 
of what's going on in that that um, situation. So it's important to listen to the family, but also listen to the child. You know, you have, you have to get everybody that's involved involved and listen non-judgmentally. Right. And sometimes it may be uh, not even in in the family because it may be something right. in that dynamic of somewhere somewhere else. So there again, we I may as a mom think it's something going on here, and mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with what's going on here. Yes. Right. And and so I think those those things are. Um, it, it's easy to get sucked into some of that because you're also in the moment. You're living it yourself. So having folks like yourself to have that open eye and a new look and and uh, gives a different perspective. And you have to t- put those stigmas aside also. You know, I hear a lot of people, oh, you're not a teenager. That's, you know, it's the worst time, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's not. No, um, right. it, you know, it, it's a great time to build relationships and have fun with your children and and uh, listen to them and and help them navigate through life and allow them to make mistakes. Yes, because yes. that's also important. We learn from our mistakes. You're shaking your head a lot there, Angela. <laughs> I am. I am. I do think it's a good trial and error. I think the kids do need to experience their own way of doing things and you can back them up and kind of show them how but eventually or just ultimately they'll have to figure it out themselves and what works and what doesn't and guide them along as they make their mistakes and be like let's try this different last time or or next time or um or you know you did this really well like good job you figured it out you know rooting them on that's what they need they need that they need sometimes correction but they also need that support to know what they do well and then to share celebrate them Make, making mistakes builds resiliency yeah. and that's what we want is our children to be resilient so then when they do become adults that they're able to make a mistake it's not the first time they've made a mistake they're able to understand those emotions and so forth so if we don't let our children make mistakes then they're not going to have resiliency and that's what really makes a, a well-rounded um, supportive adult I'm also a big proponent of allowing them to find their own talent Right. Yes. Because we tend, you know, we tend to want them to be all of this and all of that, and what, and and be successful in everything, and and that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. No. So I think that's another piece of the puzzle is find their talent, and that talent may change often. Yes. Because they're exploring. So you may get really frustrated that this year it's soccer and next year it's football and then a year after it's writing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That is okay because that also gives them those coping and life skills and relationships that they may need to have healthy brain. Right. That is so true. Taking on different situations in different levels you know helps build well yeah resiliency to it and just gives them a lot more life experience and builds up their confidence so they can take on more things yeah uh recently my son came home and had a conversation with us because he was a little frustrated about something that was going on with an adult and what i recognized is that adult was pushing him to the next level Mm, yes right Mm -hmm. and he was not seeing that quite yet because the, the the relationship was new just listened and then gave him a couple tools to take back and say, try this, it might help you. And he, on his own, just talking through it, got him there. Right, right, right. So right. I think those, those things are really important as well and at, at a younger age because we tend to tell him no or you got to fix this, you know, those types of things that 
just festers all of the behaviors and the anxieties and, and, and that. That's because they don't feel safe. Correct. You bring out a good point. Sometimes it's just sitting and listening and letting them vent it all out and think about it and hear themselves out loud and giving that little bit of feedback that then they can help get to their own point. Mm-hmm. But if you weren't available, then they weren't able to do that. Right, right. I think in education, too, that's what's so often missed that we have those conversations all the time that really at the end of the day, what that child was trying to communicate, they just wanted to be heard. Whether you agreed or disagreed, they just need to be heard so that they feel valued, they feel safe, and that they can move forward. You know, we talk about that Maslow's before blooms. Like If you don't sit and listen and meet those basic needs, they will not be learning anything else. So it's worth the time, even though as teachers, it's so hard right now. You have this pacing guide and you have these expectations and these standards and this testing, you know. 25 Um, other kids. Yes, (laughs) totally. So it's just really, and some kids need to be heard way more than others. And as a teacher, they have to realize that 25 kids, this kid needs to be heard, this, you know, that kind of thing. So, And so knowing knowing your resources in the building as well, when you have that one kiddo who might need a little bit more today, right? Uh, It may be the school nurse that's helping you out today, right? Uh, Things of that nature are also really, really important. Any closing thoughts? Because this has been a great conversation, I think. And I wonder if there's anything that you feel like families, teachers, uh, you know, people work similar to you, because we might have people that are working um, in other areas and not be close to Rick's House of Hope and have that resource. Any thoughts on uh, that you want to share with our listeners? I put you on the spot. I know. I did. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that we kind of ended with that, but that's exactly what, you know, my big thing of anything is take the time, stop, even when you don't feel like there's time, take the time, stop and listen. And like you said, there's a protocol that we use. Sometimes it's like the five, why, okay, why and why and why, or the what five levels deep sometimes before you actually get to the real root cause of the problem. But I think sometimes if we just take the time to do that, it's worth all the time you'll save, you know, moving forward. And there's so many things you can do with your your children that are fun. You know, I'm a rec therapist, so I mostly advocate for um, recreation activities, you know, board games. It's amazing right now. When kids come to Rick's House of Hope, I give them a few minutes to do something fun. And I put board games out, puzzles, Play-Doh, those kind of things. But it's amazing to me how many kids don't know how to play a board game. And electronics have taken that. Yes, up, haven't they? Yeah, yes, we have they to have. remind ourselves over and over to keep overcoming that. Yes, yeah. and 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 encourage them to go outside yes. and run yes. and play. play. You know, yeah. That yeah. play is their language. Yes. That's kids' language. And if you're stifling that in front of a screen, then um, when it comes time to have a relationship, they're more into that screen than they are into a, a personal relationship, and then you run into some problems. I agree. That could be a whole podcast in itself, right? Indeed. That's our number two. <laughs> number <laughs> two, sure. indeed. Yeah. Series. Any thoughts, Angela? Um, just checking in regularly, whether it's a whole conversation. Um, just making sure that if you see something's off, to just, again, stop and check in. Um, yeah. I think you, when when... You, especially Cammy, said that it really pulled back in the theory of person centeredness. Yes. Right? And when we are disconnected and not feeling heard, is when we start having troubles, whether we're a child or an adult. 
Correct. Right? And so I think in closing, that's the biggest takeaway. There's lots of resources, and we all want any family to know, whether you're in any school system or um, in in our communities, there's lots of different organizations to support uh, healthiness for holistically for our kiddos. Uh, so feel free to reach out to your providers, um, to your school teachers, to your principals, to your school nurses, or, or so on and so forth. But also to recognize that we have to get back to that vision of connection with the individual and understand the what. And when we do that, we're much healthier. For sure. Absolutely. Totally agree. Excellent. Thank you all so much for joining us. We so appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the Institute for Person-Centered Podcast, brought to you by St. Ambrose University and KALA. Thanks. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care Podcast is provided by KALA-FM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker. It is produced by Ann Garten, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University.